0: Alright, welcome to The Jig is Up. My name is Darcy and with me as always is Jason. Hey buddy, how's it going? Good, I hear you're way up north this evening. I am. We are. Re- I am recording in the beautiful Fort St. John uh,
1: location of British Columbia. Okay, any chance they have spring up there yet?
0: Well, if by spring you mean a foot of snow and it's still snowing, yeah, I guess you call that spring. It, it's really lovely uh-huh. up here.
1: I've lost count. Is this second winter or third winter?
0: <laughs> I don't even know. It's I'm <laughs> sick of winter is what it really is. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was a fun drive up here, I'll tell you that. Whew. Yeah, I bet. But uh, at least the highways were open, not like the last time I tried to come up here a week ago when the, and they closed down the highway for about five hours. So I guess we. You, I should be happy, happy just to be here.
1: No, you should be because the roads were crap where I was today.
0: Yeah, I know. I I blew through there about noon, a little before noon, and they were pretty crappy then. So, yeah. yeah. Reason 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 one thousand and seventy two why I'm I'm really not interested in moving to northern Alberta or BC, northern BC. I don't
1: know. Be- beautiful country. I uh, yeah. Oh, but beautiful I, I country. Can, Great place to visit. In the any? Yeah, I know. I don't think I can go any further north than where I'm at.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. Uh, So we got a whack load of stuff to talk about today. Um, I want to let everybody know who's listening to stick around to the end of the show and we're going to announce a contest we have coming up. So make sure you listen to the whole episode and you'll get the information on that uh, contest. And we're going to be giving away some things for before our our, on our next episode, we'll be giving them away um, because our next episode is our 50th episode.
1: Fifty!
0: Wow. Yeah, we're turning fifty next month, and it's uh, it's pretty amazing. So hopefully, we uh, have a good show for you guys.
1: we we'll are have the episodes, so it's gone.
0: I know, right? Um, <laughs> we're we're a mature podcast now, right? Isn't that how? Or wise? I don't know. <laughs>
1: Gray haired for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So I want to talk about. Uh, I, I want to start off with a quick thing about um, Colton Bushy's killer who, as disgusting as this sounds, was shopping around a book deal in the last week or so. And uh, he was turned down from one publisher, but I was just reading today that that publisher has actually received uh, letters of unhappiness that they turned him down. Um, They had put out a letter saying, here's why we turned him down, and we think it's wrong that he's shopping a book and trying to cash in on this tragedy. Um... So yeah, kind of a slimeball move to cash. I mean, he raised over a hundred grand on his GoFundMe. I, how much more money does this guy need to make off of killing an indigenous young man?
1: I don't know. Well, just talk about yeah, it's just such a slimy, underhanded situation. I don't know. Wow, you know, talk about moral fiber. I just don't know where that fiber ended up anywhere than the porcelain.
0: Well, that's just it. Like, I don't know, man. Like, it, that's just disgusting to try to. Cash in on on somebody's death. Like, I don't know. And so, yeah, I thought that was pretty slimy. Good on the publisher. I can't remember the publisher's name. Otherwise, I'd plug them right now. But I'm glad that they turned him down. But, you know, he's going to continue shopping that around. And somebody is going to print that piece of crap, whatever, wherever it is.
1: Well, the saddest part is exactly if you looked at the GoFundMe accounts, which were multiple that he had set up, um, there was a significant amount of support. Yeah. for his, his end of the cause. And so then you have to know that when that kind of money is involved, you know, <laughs> a, a book publisher would have to be an idiot not at some point to jump at it because they can see his dollar signs, you know, and the moral objections to it are, are kind of lost on a corporation at the best of times. So yeah, you know that uh, coming near a Indigo chapters to you probably within the next 24 months or so will be... The ever-so tragic tale of of how he was, you know, defending his property rights.
0: Oh yeah, and it'll be a sob big sob story on how hard this was on him and all this kind of stuff. And I, the whole thing well, is just me, uh, oh, I don't know. The whole thing is just really quite disgusting. As far as I'm concerned, it's. it's I'm not horrible.
1: a big advocate uh, of uh, book burnings, but uh, I may make an exception if that one hits the shelf.
0: Yeah, no kidding, right? My God, like. There, I'm sure there will be lots of protests if the, if a publisher picks that up and actually prints it. I'm sure chapters and everywhere will have nothing but protests, which they should if they decide to actually sell that book. Oh man,
1: one can only hope. Mm-hmm. I would hope that that would be the way it went. But
0: yeah, exactly right. So there's call that. Call me news. skeptical. Yeah. Uh, well, this is yeah. Like I'm skeptical they would say no until there's a big fury, and then they might go, oh well, now we'll take it off the shelf. Meanwhile, they've already sold how many copies and circulated it, and yeah, yeah. Like you said, it's all about money. So, so yeah. So there was that. I just wanted to kind of get get my. I I felt really quite disgusted by that, and I wanted to get that let everybody know about that. Um, mm-hmm. But it actually ties into the next thing um, that we want to talk about, or I want to talk about, <laughs> is uh, <laughs> you have no choice, damn it. Um, is gun laws. Trudeau has decided we need to strengthen our gun laws, likely because of the conversations going on in the States right now, and he wants to look really cool and hip. Um, But uh, So we're going to strengthen our gun laws, which means... And and this is where you're probably going to do most of the talking, Jason, because I'm not a gun law expert, but as far as I understand, it means uh, stricter controls on handguns and stricter or I guess uh, longer background checks. They're talking lifetime, so that's like going back till you're 18 to do a background check. Um, and it, I, do you know if more, if they're doing more than that? or?
1: Well, I'm by no means a gun law expert uh, other than I do enjoy hunting and, and that kind of deal. No, as far as I know, they can legally only go back as far as you're 18. Any youth records should still remain sealed uh in their their check i find it funny because there's a lot of misinformation that the liberal party is putting out right now about what it takes to actually purchase a firearm and the licensing requirements in the acquisition of a firearm and especially handguns which in canada have been uh, legally you've had to register one since 1930 i believe and so, regarding handguns as a restricted firearm, there's a significant amount of legislation already in place as regards to storage, and transportation, and use.
0: Yeah.
1: So, I mean, going back to our, our previous conversation about uh, Captain Slimeball Book Deal Man, he should have been charged with his a lot that we talked about in other podcasts, a significant amount of uh, gun related charges due to those things. So, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, where the levels are trying to go with this, other than it's you know Justin Trudeau Junior. 2.0, um, and gun laws seem to be a big deal.
0: Well, that's just it. I, I think he's like I said. I think he's trying to cash in on the cool being cool right now and and being strict on guns. Now, like personally, I'm of the camp that um, you know 99.999% of gun owners, I'm sure, are responsible. They go hunting. They maybe shoot a coyote or two, trying to kill some animals on their farm, whatever. Um, so I'm not, I'm not really opposed to guns. I don't have a problem with them. I've shot guns. I, I I have, I don't have them. I don't have guns right now, but, um, but I do think it's good to have some gun laws. And I think the controls we have in place when enforced are, seem to be pretty effective, seem to be pretty good gun laws. So I'm not really sure what the, um, trigger was, (laughs) so to speak to creating more gun laws, um, we just come out of these trials like Colton Bushies where it's very clear that they're not enforcing the gun laws we have, like you said. So what is more gun laws going to do? And I, you know, I hearken back to the Harper era of times when they were making new terrorist laws because they were tough on crime as conservatives, but they were making things like killing somebody with a terrorist act is elite. Uh, they were making it illegal. Well, I don't know how you make murder more illegal, because it was already illegal. But it seems to be the government's attitude, no matter what color a government, that we'll just make it more illegal to do things. Because we're lawmakers, we have to make new laws. When it's like, well, yeah, but the ones you have now aren't being enforced, so new ones aren't going to really do anything. That's that's my first hang-up with these. I don't know, had, is that kind of the, is that how you feel about it? I don't know.
1: Well, I think the gun issue, um, I mean, we have to face, you know, a little bit of reality. The majority of people in Canada live in urban centres. Uh, I have an aunt that lives in uh, Toronto, and any time you mention the word handgun, all she can think of is a handgun. Uh, statistically, I don't know what the uh, statistics are on people robbing 7-Eleven with a thirty odd 6 <laughs> um, and we do know that handguns have been registered in Canada since 1930, and I'm not exactly I'm not sure how many crimes we've stopped because of it. Yeah. Um, the only challenge I have in the legislation is a little bit of the vagueness that we're talking about when it comes to opening up your background check past what I believe, I believe and I could be wrong, is it's five years right now, and they want to open it up to check your entire background history to when you were obviously of legal age. Yes. Um, the problem I have with that isn't so much that they're going to do that, it's the parameters with which they're going to do it are. I haven't seen anyway what the context is for that, and that's a little bit unnerving to me, especially as as an Indigenous person.
0: That's. Yeah, I think that's my second issue with this too, is exactly that. they've They've said they're going to do this, and with these background checks... Take it all the way back to when you were 18. So in my case, going from 43 to 18, that's a fair number of years. Now, I have to admit I was a bit of an idiot when I was 18 to, say, 24. And not that I ever got arrested or went to jail, but I did stupid stuff. So is that going to play into, well, no, you can't have a gun because when you were 22 years old, you were at a party and there was a guy there who we don't like or something, and... Or you associated with, you went to a Hell's Angel party one one weekend when you were 22. Like, are these the things? Because like you said, they don't have any parameters. So what is it that's going to make it so you can't get a gun? And what is? There's no real set press, like set rule guidelines. Um, so in indigenous well, cases, if yeah. I was part of a protest group that we protested a lot during my early 20s, is that considered, oh, well, you were part of a group of people that was violently protesting a fracking site, uh, so you can't get a gun? Is that, and I have a suspicion, the cynical side of me said that's what's exactly what's going to happen.
1: Well, then you definitely see that when we have uh, energy projects that are going to be pushed through with force, um, and we have indigenous people who are obviously going to to uh protest these kinds of things are uh, you know specifically metis harvesters and people engaged in that kind of thing really risking their ability to, to you know uh, feed their families yeah. you know uh, because these are going to be you know basically if you're protesting these pipelines that are going to be pushed through you're going to be charged and those things could be looked at very negatively and if you have a history of uh, activism against the government uh and on a, especially I, I believe anyway for myself on a, a pro-indigenous agenda you are very likely going to fall under some very serious scrutiny uh whether you're going to be able to possess firearms or not uh, with this legislation and that that's concerning to me to absolutely
0: well and and i think what so let's take that a step further so um let's say i'm a I, you know i got my i'm a metis guy and i like to go hunting and feed my family and uh, now they say, oh, sorry, you you can't... T- like, are they going to pull... Because I've heard that they're going to randomly check existing, uh, you know, license holders. So then does that mean I have a license, everything's cool, I hunt, I feed my family, everything's great. And then they go and randomly check and say, oh, but see, now we went back 18 years and found that you were part of these groups. So we're pulling your license. You can't have a firearm. So now do I keep my guns and keep hunting to feed my family and harvest, or I have to give them up by the law? So what? what's going to happen, I think, is what you're going to see is people keep their guns and then the police come in and now you're going to be arrested for illegally possession of handgun or um, firearms. And guess what? More Indigenous people are going to go to jail. And that's really, mm-hmm. I see this playing out in my head. I don't know if I'm maybe crazy, but <laughs> it seems obvious to me.
1: Well, definitely, you know, that's my big concern as we move forward into an era of uh, really this resource extraction pushing itself through, you know, with a huge mandate. Um, I think this is where Indigenous people, especially harvesters, are going to be caught in the crosshairs. Um, you know, never mind if you have a past of doing it. The reality is if you have a license right now, um, I can guarantee you that if you are an activist of any kind, in Indigenous nature, you're probably going to get put to the top of the pile for a review. Um, And I'm not even sure if you're going to have to wait for that license to come up to be renewed to have that uh, take place.
0: Exactly. And I mean, um, we all know that um, CSIS and the RCMP are already monitoring Indigenous people who take part in protests. So is that going to play a factor? If you're on the watch list, because you go and, stand in a picket line or you go stand in a march and, and hold up a sign even though that's your constitutional right and you're not you're being peaceful about it does that mean that being on that watch list is going to be something that kicks that application out I mean we don't know because they don't have any guidelines for it so it yeah. could be something very innocuous that you haven't even done anything wrong like me and you are going to go to Standing Rock is that alone in and of itself reason to take away your hand, your gun license yeah, exactly. <laughs> who knows?
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know, and that's the problem I have with legislation like that, is because it's this whole review and amendment starts off with misinformation. Um, and you know, a lot of fear mongering when it comes to firearms, especially since we have so many people who you know, are victims of of gun violence in urban centers. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where it goes, and that's my big concern, is we have a lot of activism that's going to take place and needs to take place. And now we have this open-ended, you know, statement. Oh, you know, we're going to open all the, you know, the ghosts in your closet. And that I think you, you hit the nail on the head. What I did in my 20s, you know, is that now going to affect me at, in my 40s? Yeah. You know, there's a reason that right now there's a five-year statue on that is because people change. What once was isn't so.
0: Well, that's just it. I mean, people go to jail, they come out and they don't ever recomm- commit any offenses, they straighten their lives up, uh, you know, addicts get clean, uh, And you know, like, so how does that play in? And I mean, it, it, I know they're saying it from a, a mental health standpoint, but this isn't a mental health check, this isn't a complete check of your, of your life. And, uh, well, and if
1: it, and that's just the thing. If it, I mean, that was the arguments that that we've been talking about with several people is if it was a mental health issue. Well, that's going to be on the record, <laughs> you know. You didn't just recover from that in the last five years. And well, then if you did, and you, you, hey, maybe you got all better, and that was five years ago. Well, then you should be able to participate as a responsible individual in society.
0: Well, that's just it, right? We're we're supposed to, uh, I guess, do you know, you commit a crime, you do your time, you're supposed to get out and not continue to face uh, punishment for that crime. Um, now, I, I and I honestly don't know how these gun laws will affect crime in any way, shape, or form. Um, I don't think, I don't like going back to the argument of, well, criminals don't apply for gun permits, well, but they really don't. So I don't know, um, I don't know if how they are going to affect it. And I'd have to have perhaps somebody with a lot more knowledge to show me statistics on how these specific gun laws would actually affect crime, and for me to, under, to 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 agree that they would be, you know, that they're reasonable. Um, but, you know, and then actually, it's it's funny we're talking about this today too, because in, in my neighborhood in Calgary today, um, there was an active shooter, and a police officer got shot, and they had to shoot the guy and kill him. Uh, and that was only... I mean, that was in the neighborhood I live in, in Calgary. So that was only, uh, you know, a handful of blocks away from my house today. But I don't know if these laws would have stopped that from happening. Um, we don't have any details yet on that. I don't know what happened there today other than what I just told you. But would a longer background check stop this person from being a shooter today? I I don't know. I, I can't honestly say that they would have, but... Maybe I, I don't know
1: well, and that's always been my challenge, and I think the the one thing we don't want to address in Canada when it comes to uh, gun laws and gun registry is the fact that we have a bad neighbor to the south of us who has a prolific gun culture, and the one kind of gun that we've gone out of our way to restrict in I think a very you know punitive way is, is handguns since 1930. And yet the majority of all crimes committed with a firearm in Canada entail those handguns. Yes. And that's a real problem. I don't, but I don't believe that's a Canadian problem. I don't think that's, I don't, our problem is we can't change. I don't know how much more punitive we can get with firearms in Canada when you can clearly just point the finger to the South of us and say, well, look at, we've got a bad neighbor who feels that anybody and everybody should have a gun. And so they're free floating. And it's very hard when we have one of the longest borders in the world to stop those guns from coming here through you know nefarious ways.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I, I I don't I don't want to say that these are laws that would punish the lawful gun owner because to be honest with you I mean um, maybe they are good in some ways. I don't know if I agree with them though. I just um, I'm not opposed to gun laws, but to me it seems like it's opportunistic. And I this going back till you're 18 thing just seems very punitive, like very punitive. Especially for somebody like, you know, myself, who maybe I was a dum dum when I was twenty three or whatever, and but I'm forty three, I have a family and two dogs and a house and a mortgage and a job and <laughs> I have responsibilities now. I'm a lot different now than I was at twenty three, so why are you punishing me for what I did back then? Twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Like and, and that's my problem, really, with this whole thing, is that it seems very punitive for and, and very much a punishment for people. Um, and it does nothing. Well, and for
1: me, yeah. Go ahead. And it, well, not only do I not think it does anything, I think it puts a lot of Indigenous people in a precarious and risky situation moving forward that could jeopardize their ability to provide for themselves. And yeah. that's where I take real exception with this is because what exactly is going to become a security risk? What is it going to open us up to as Indigenous people? You know, these things have yet to be answered. It's supposed to be lawful to protest. But this vagueness now of what could disqualify you and they're free to open your file at any time um, is a little bit of a head-scratcher.
0: Well, and then even beyond the protesting, think about all the things that that happen in Indigenous communities right now that – aren't necessarily the fault of indigenous people. Um, you, you know, you have child apprehension coming in. So then if if a person has guns and they have, you know, child services comes along and takes the kids away for whatever stupid reason they come up with, is that going to be a reason for them to pull your gun licenses? Well, now you can't feed your family. We're already forcing you into a poverty situation. Now you can't feed your family. Well, we're just going to have to take those kids now, right, and keep them. Yeah. Um, So like all of this kind of compounds and I think it's it's to me it's a very I don't know if they're doing it on purpose or they are just very blind to the effects that these kinds of laws will have on indigenous people. But to me, you know, if you want to talk reconciliation, it's things like this that they have to start looking at these laws through an indigenous lens and saying rather than just saying, no, we need to curb gun laws. okay, or we need to curb gun violence. okay, that's great. But how does we how do we make laws that don't negatively impact indigenous communities? Because there are legal gun owners, there are very responsible gun owners within the indigenous community, just like any other community of people. And but they are going to be the ones that get punished because of protesting, child services um, disputes amongst the government. Uh, you name it, poverty. They're going to be, you know, so the. I just have a really bad feeling how this is going to affect Indigenous.
1: Yeah, me too. I'm not. I'm not terribly thrilled about its open-endedness. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, and uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Again, I'll go back to it though. I I think it's a very poorly timed ploy to garner the anti-gun crowds' vote for the next election. Um, I don't know if we necessarily had a huge issue. I mean, with gun laws that they needed to be tightened up, um, when we're not enforcing I don't, them well,
1: now. And that's the thing is, I'd like to see the, tis, the, the statistics on that. Since the Harper government did all the repeals on the gun law, have we seen an actual increase in gun violence? Has it really gotten out of control? Yeah. That you know, because <clears throat> I think what is—it's not even been four years since that the whole gun legislation was repealed, um, and so. Yeah, Are we already back. We're already back to here. So we just went through and got rid of the nightmare of a over budget thing, and now we're going to try to weasel our way back to it. So I don't know. Yeah, politically, I see the whole vote grabbing thing. Sure, I'm just concerned in in a summer where we're looking at uh, you know a lot of activism and a lot of of uh, land protection that's going to happen. You know, the obvious risk this is going to put uh, indigenous people at.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And I I agree with you. I think if you're Indigenous and you're protesting in this law, these laws come into place, uh, I absolutely think you're, like you said, the your paper goes right on, your file goes right to the top of, let's review these guys.
1: Well, uh, you have to know if CSIS is going to make that call.
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, I know my wife's on that watch list, so it wouldn't surprise me if they pull her gun uh, permits their yeah. so, license. So, I don't know. We'll see. It'll be interesting, but... I don't think these are going to really solve any crime, um, even though we had an active shooter in my neighborhood today, which is very rare. That does not happen in my neighborhood ever. Um, But uh, it happened, and I don't know if these gun laws would have done anything to curb that. Uh, At this point, we don't even know what kind of gun he was using, so it's kind of, you know, I can't really talk intelligently about whether or not they would have, but...
1: Well, and there's so many things that lead to that, you know, in gun crime. It isn't just the firearm. It's what's the state of the person using it, right? Yeah. Because you can have, I mean, that is the whole point of why a gun license is only valid for five years is because they want to do a checkup. What happened to your mental state of health? What is your relationship status? Yeah. You know, it's why you're the same reason we do your driver's license every five years.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, and see those things those are kinds of things that I, I actually don't mind them doing that because you know people do change their lives change stress happens the economy tanks the you lose your job uh, you know things like that so I, I get why they do that and I'm I'm okay with that I mean the, the gun laws we yeah, have are, a problem.
1: yeah they seem okay I, that's <clears throat> and yeah they seem fairly reasonable and fairly sane I think we're doing you know what we can to to make sure that people, Uh, Do what's right, you know, and we have our time doing that in our society because, you know, things happen and, you know, but I'm not sure more gun laws stop that, you know, I think a lot, you know, you want to stop a lot of gun crime, make sure that people get the social help they need. Yes. You know, that you, you get the counseling that you need when you're going through divorce that, you know, if your kids end up in a bad scene, that there's social work for there for you. I think a lot of these gun crimes are people lushing out in frustration,
0: absolutely absolutely i agree and i mean if you want to you know there's addicts out there and stuff like that well how about we actually start opening up some treatment centers and some mental health facilities and rather than fighting a war on drugs let's start fighting a war on mental health and actually try to help people and i think that would have a much bigger effect on gun violence than you know like you said providing counseling through some tough times for people and i I think that's where your impact would be a lot greater on gun violence and violence in general.
1: Oh yeah, you know. You want to talk about getting around a gun violence? Let's talk about our social programs. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll do a lot to reduce the necessity for people to lash out in frustration with a firearm.
0: Absolutely. So I wanted to move on. Um, we have a, a big thing in the news. Um, was uh, Premier Pallister over there in Manitoba is uh, has come out and he said some pretty. Uh, some pretty harsh things about the May- Manitoba Métis Federation. Um, I don't, I don't agree with the way he characterizes them as a as a lobby group. I mean, I, you know, me and you don't love the cartel. We don't have any lost love for them at all. But they are a Métis group, and the, there are a lot of Métis people there that they represent. So they're not like a fringe group. They are actually, <laughs> you know, they do represent some Indigenous people. So let's at least give them that. Their premier. But the the real thing is this $67.5 million payment from Manitoba Hydro. And I, I do have some issues with this payment. Um, I don't, but I don't know. I, 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 what's your take on this? I mean, do, I don't know if you were keeping up with it much.
1: Well, first, I, I have to chime in with you. I think the, the Premier's response to the organization of the Manitoba Métis is, is way out of line. And, and highly disrespectful um i might not agree with the organization but it does represent a significant portion of metis people uh in the province and that needs to be respected yes and the money however uh i don't even know where to start with that that is such a schmoss. I you know i have a hard time even wrapping my head around that
0: so, well, you know, I was reading article after article last night trying to figure out the, the good in this. And you know what? I'm all for Métis people getting, getting some money. Uh, we sadly, sadly need it. Um, there's a lot of communities that really need some help. I don't think this money was ever going to make it to a community. But I do think Métis people deserve some, some payments, some, you know, to be involved in natural resource uh, issues and consultation so I don't begrudge them the amount. I don't, I'm don't. i not even jealous of them getting it. But what I'm concerned about is... Um, we have really two stories here tonight about... You know, kind of shady financial things. And this is one of them, I think. So the $67.5 million, from what I've read, in everything I've read... Was a payment to the Manitoba Métis Federation... So that they would not oppose any other Manitoba Hydro project... For the next fifty years, and I have I have very big issues with that. Um, the least of which is it's interesting. This deal was never made public until now. Um, if this was not a shady backroom deal, why was it not pronounced and announced? And why why wasn't wasn't there a press conference about it? Or maybe I missed that. But uh, so I it seems shady to begin with, and then I really wonder about. As a leader of an organization, how you can saddle the next fifty years of Metis with absolutely zero voice on Manitoba Hydro projects in this case, because for that money. That seems like a really bad deal to take.
1: Um See, well, and I think part of it is um, you and I both know that anything in a board situation where these nonprofit corporations or outright corporations make deals, they don't have to disclose anything. So it's not that it was outright shady. This is just standard operating procedure for any one of these corporations right. in the cartel, right? So I don't think it was purposely shady. I just think that's how top-down authoritarian they work they do whatever they want and they'll tell you about it if and when they feel like it if no deal had been made reached and no money was ever came of it you'd never know yeah uh, the only reason this did come to life was because it ended up being a significant amount of money over a very significant portion of time the real problem i have with it is like you said is this basically ties the hands of Métis people in the province for the next 50 years? So, regardless of what valley gets flooded, what dam they want to build, what power transmission lines they want to put in, Métis people are sidelined. You're out of the picture. Yes, you got no saying.
0: Yeah, and so it, it you know, it, it it seems like a really good deal, but it, I think that's a little bit shady. And the fact that it. This payment isn't for because they have indigenous title to the land out there or they have this or that. It's really based on no legal precedence um, from everything I read uh, saying that they would have to be compensated for anything. Um, They do have a requirement to consult with the Manitoba Métis Federation from what I understand in that province, but that doesn't equate to an actual financial payout. Um, they could easily have consulted and addressed any issues that the Métis would have had with these projects on a project-by-project project basis or on a on a grand scale without any money exchanging hands. So I even seen a thing from the, the former, because the entire board of this uh, Manitoba Hydro resigned, and I did see a thing from the, the person who was the chairman of it um, who said, yeah, this was money to get their agreement to not oppose any more any future deals uh, for the next 50 years. So it it essentially was hush money. Um, and, and, and that's my problem. Well, so
1: it's, a, it's a carte blanche payout. Yeah. I mean, and, and like, you, like you stated, not to diminish this, is I don't see any First Nations community in that treaty territory talked about. We're not talking about a specific project in any specific land that we're talking about. Not even a land deal. There's no land acknowledgment. This is just simply so the Manitoba Métis will – this is their payo. So basically it's like a contractual fee that we're going to pay you X millions of dollars a year and you're just going to consent. Yes. For the next 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> for I mean, the next 50
0: years. Yeah. like That's the crazy part. Like that's that's a long time, man. Like I don't know how you saddle people with that. So – It's a very, it just doesn't seem, it doesn't make me feel comfortable. Like I'm not, I I don't begrudge them getting the money. The money is not the issue. It is how they got it, in my
1: opinion. Um, Well, and what they're giving up. You mean, you're basically allowing Manitoba Hydro to do whatever they want to the land and the water with zero ability to backtrack out of this.
0: Exactly. and. So now let's let's look at how did this come to be? Did they did the Manitoba Métis Federation consult with any of the First Nations in the areas where these projects are supposed to be? Did they did they take that into account anywhere? Did they take Indigenous title to land anywhere into this? And the answer is, that I honestly don't think they did. Um, I never read anything that said they consulted with anybody. This was a deal purely between Manitoba Hydro and them to give them fifty years of peace and silence. And so, as as Métis people, our leaders now are taking payments to shut up, and and not be consulted on things that happen because you've given up your right to consult. So, you know, it goes. Well, to, and it, 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 it's a
1: really. And shady I think thing. for me, it is shady. what even is the what, what's worse about this is, is is that it's not over a specific geographical landmass. No. It is a, a carte blanche for the province to operate anywhere within the province. And and this goes back to a lot of the rhetoric we talk about with these organizations, about if it's government to government, uh, then it should be about people who are in possession of land. And I don't know an Indigenous person, especially a Métis Indigenous person, who's not talking about how can we have a nation if we don't have land, and you have a organization that just took a carte blanche payout for no land like they're not even talking about a geographical location or a project in a certain valley nothing to do with the land
0: yeah no no and it's all it's for everything that they do in in manitoba for the next 50 years so i mean can you imagine what if they want to put a hydro line right through uh you know a metis farmer's ranch does that metis farmer not get in able to say anything um uh, it's just, it doesn't seem right to just, you know, take the money and shut up for the next 50 years. That's essentially what it is.
1: Well, and in today, in an age where we talk about nation to nation relationships, I don't understand how this is uh, reflective of that, especially when we're talking about, you know, this organization, you know, claims its direct lineage from Riel and the government and the Red River experience that claims ownership of that area that province, yeah. and yet that's not what happened, any of this had to do with.
0: No, it, it's not. Not at all. And uh, so, yeah, so that's very it, for,
1: So, from my concern, did the Manitoba Métis Federation give up jurisdictional development rights over its own claim to the land, to, to the hydro? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that. that I mean, that, that's what we're really talking about is To me, the money aside and and the fact that it's not negotiated without membership involvement um, is where's the tie to the land? If Indigenous people are from the land and we're supposed to be, you know, that's our connection. How are we taking money for for basically walking away?
0: Well, exactly. And, you know, one of the things that I have never seen, I have yet to find, is what was the MMS plan for this money? Um, I understand it was a one lump sum payment of a certain amount and then so much a year for the next 50 years or something like that. So what was the plan with the money? Where was that money going to go? And I, I, from what I've read, there was no plan. It was just going to go into the coffers and be used how they see fit. So at some point, was membership even going to be made aware of this? Was anybody going to be made aware of the fact that they just lost their... The right to consult on these projects for the next fifty years. I I didn't read yeah. any of that anywhere.
1: Well, and we haven't heard the the federation hasn't come out and said what they planned on doing with the money, where it was going to go, who it was supposed to or not supposed to help. Is it just going to go to shore up the fact the funding cycle of any corporation? We don't know, and that that's the real problem, isn't it? I mean, it's just all this backroom business, right? It is. It
0: is, and, and I think, uh, you know, I am no fan of uh, Premier Pallister whatsoever. Um, I think he's he ranks right up there for me with, as Brad Wall um, for being a total a-hole to Indigenous people. Um, so I'm not a big fan anyway. So I, And I thought his comments were totally off course, but the truth is I, I'm not in agreement with this money. And when we look at the, the backlash over certain things that happened on the East Coast with certain academics and certain anti-Eastern Métis people, um, we got another story of, of kind of a shady f- thing going on where uh, there was a leader of an organization out on the East Coast who was printing membership cards to their organization to look like or emulate uh, First Nation status cards. And then going around and all the members were going... Well, all of the members. Some of the members were going around trying to use these as tax-free cards... To save money. Now, again, I'm I'm not opposed to Métis organizations having benefits with their cards. But I am kind of, like, this seems really shady when you're printing a card to look like another and you're trying to pass it off as a status card. That's shady. And this person was wholeheartedly blasted. But what happened was, and and they should be, I don't agree with what they did, but now all Eastern Métis are painted with this brush of, oh, we're all these scammers and con artists trying to get a benefit. Okay, but tell me, what is the Manitoba Métis Federation in comparison? Getting $67 million to give away their rights to cons- even consult. Um, What is that? That's a pretty shady deal and with a hell of a lot more dollar signs added to it. Um, <laughs> So to me, they're kind of the similar thing. It's... I don't disagree that Métis should have $67.5 million, and I don't disagree that we should have benefits with our card. But I do disagree with both how both of these organizations went about coming, getting those things.
1: Well, and isn't this exactly indicative of these top-down corporations? Would they adopt these board-type structures to operate under? You get these upper board management guys making ridiculous deals, doing ridiculous things with no accountability to the membership.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And, and so you look down East at at what they're trying to do and they're trying to, if they haven't already housed that guy and, and get to try to get control and accountability back for their organization because it's a huge schmoz, Um, you know, and uh, we get a lot of Western main team, you know, like you said, painting with a broad brush now about all these organizations, but uh, out East, but look how fraudulent the the same kind of structure is out west, and Absolutely. we see it in Alberta, and we're looking at it at uh, Manitoba. So, it is indicative of this corrupt structure. And I mean, you want to look at the ultimate expression of that corrupt st- structure. We can just go back to talking about the government.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, now I, to expand a little bit on that story out east, um, I wanted to make it very clear that the person that was, I guess, from what I've read again. That uh, was responsible for this whole trying to get tax benefits and with your card and stuff schmaws. Was on March 25th he was, I guess, ejected out of the organization completely, removed from leadership and ejected out. Um, so this was the statement. I'll just kind of sum it up. I'll I'll just read a little bit of it. But uh, uh, they the this organization did say this is to advise that on this date March 25th, 2018 that there has been a change in administration. You know this person is no longer at the head or part of their organization. We apologize for any grief or insults that may have been served to First Nations in Nova Scotia and indeed all of Canada, as well as all of our metis brothers and sisters during his leadership. We never wanted to take part in or take away any of the rights and benefits that First Nations have attained and so richly deserve. Our policy was not and is and is not to insult. We hope to be able to mend the wrongs that have been done from this day forward. So that seems like a very responsible thing to say. Um, I know another organization came out with a statement, and I'm just going to uh, try to find that here. Um, this was from another organization saying very similar thing. Um, you know, this is an open letter based on the false information, abusive generalizations currently circulating on social media about Eastern Canadian Métis. Um This organization has never promoted any tax benefits uh, from issuing of any membership cards. Uh, Members have been consistently advised that such tax benefits are the rights of of First Nations and others that come under the auspices and control of the Indian Act. Uh, Acadian Métis, in their case, are not controlled by the Indian Act, nor is it desired. What we desire is a peaceful coexistence with our First Nations friends and the recognition of inherent sovereignty of that First Nation in their area. We seek respect for our people, traditions, and customs, and we believe that Indigenous people and traditions can better prosper together. Um, so these are kind of the, some of the statements coming out. So when you, when they paint them with a broad brush, um, you know this is what they're painting them with. But I don't see any statement like that coming out from the Manitoba Métis Federation about this payment. Or, you know, in Alberta here, some of the other things that have gone on that we've talked about on here that are pretty shady. I don't see those statements coming out you know
1: yeah you, it's funny what happens when when there's enough zeros behind it all of a sudden it seems more rational i guess if we were talking about you know millions of dollars in tax funds uh that this organization east had been able to attempt or or achieve you know maybe they'd slide to get a better pass right
0: yeah I, and maybe
1: and maybe i mean the, the more money you make the more acceptable it is
0: <laughs> yeah that's right and and the truth is, is I don't, I actually don't begrudge them the desire to, you know, put some benefits on their membership cards um, if they do it in the right way. So did, you know, if they want to go to First Nations, say, hey, this is what we're thinking. What do you guys think? And kind of collaborate on that. Uh, if they want to go to local businesses and local industry and say, hey, you know, here's what we want to do for our members. To me, those are the upstanding ways to do things. And then it's, You've put some effort in. It's You're not trying to just game the system. You've put some effort in to actually put some thought behind these things and and work within your community to to get a uh, buy-in on on these things from the in, important uh, players in the game. So there is a way to do this. There's a way to get that $67.5 million that isn't shady. and And that's my whole point with this is we need to hold both organizations to the same level of accountability and say... Well, do I think that's shit. what.
1: Well, I think that's what you and I talk about a great deal is holding all of these corporate organizations to accountability. Yeah. Um, we all come from the same indigenous ancestors, and I think the fact that we can never seem to to bridge that gap, no matter what part of the country you're in, is probably the greatest shame to us all. That in neither of these cases, in Manitoba or out east, did either of these organizations consult with any other indigenous party. We have this elitist self-entitlement in our organizations, and I think that is inherently a huge problem that comes from these these kinds of structures. Yes, and and then we seem to think that we can act, you know, unilaterally to do what we think is best from these board seat positions without any regard to how it actually will play out in community. And, you know, how many times do we have to have this conversation that, that Métis people need to stop supporting these initiatives. Yes.
0: Exactly. And, you know, I, I've, I've, I have read comments on the East Coast that I, I, don't, I don't agree with. Um, there are people that, like this guy who was just removed from leadership, who, who says things about the First Nations out there that I wholeheartedly disagree with. Um, and, you know, you talk about it all the time, Jason. We need to be a family. And family doesn't go around, well, some families go around stabbing each other in the back. But not, that's not how family's supposed to work. And we, we need to get back to that. And I and I absolutely loved the, the letters and responses that both of these different organizations put out. Um, and I do feel that there is a way to, you know, find a common ground with whatever First Nations in your area. Um, as metis people in first nations there is easily a way to find that common ground but we have to sit down and we have to talk to each other and we have to respect each other um, you can't go in thinking you're the you're the top dog and you're gonna get you're just gonna make demands so we have to go in with some humility and uh and and work together and you know you talk about it all the time we're family so we gotta we, that's what we got to do
1: yeah and i, I think we've got to end this this idea and, and stop supporting people who are out to you know either gain the system for for some kind of financial benefit or make deals for the land and consent to the things that happen in the land without any discussion to to the rest of our family about what that actually looks like and how it might impact each other yes that, that's not you know that's exactly the divide and conquer colonial politics that we have been sidelined on the side of the road for the last hundred fifty years and now we do the same tactics the minute there's five bucks involved
0: yeah. Well, and, and just look at what kind of message it sends to you know First Nations in Manitoba when you took a payment, so now your voice is totally, you've agreed to everything for the next 50 years. You just wrote a blank check, check for every, every project they have for the Manitoba Hydro Organization. Um, and so what if First Nations oppose that? Now they're on their own. You're not with them. You can't stand beside them and say, no, you know what, we support you, we don't agree with this. Because you, you, you can't even stand there. You're not in the game anymore. And so, like you just said, it further divides our people by taking money like that um, that doesn't seem to be on the up and up. Whether it is or is not, it gives the general impression that it is not. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, shady deals, man, shady deals.
1: Yeah, and it sure seems the way that we're willing to really do whatever it takes to get five bucks in our pockets. We can get get a tax break, if we can, you know, make a card that'll fudge and I can get a deal at the store, if we can, you know, have some boardroom meeting where money will flow into our corporate bank account, our Métis organizations sure seem a little bit too willing to uh, jump all over that.
0: Absolutely. Way too willing. Yeah. So, uh, I think that was all I had for tonight. I don't know if you had any last... Uh topics that you wanted to quickly go through
1: not unless somebody's got a special drum song that makes it stop snowing
0: <laughs> well may, maybe we'll get some people to email that to us at uh, metipodcast at gmail.com and let us know if they do S-
1: send it send it my way and i'll go try it out in the yard right away
0: <laughs> um so we talked about uh, at the beginning of the show and we mentioned a contest and I, wanted to, uh, I want to send a huge shout of uh, thanks to uh, Maxim Cormier for sending us. He sent me three of his CDs, and I already bought, uh, I think, all of them off iTunes. So I, well, I figured what we'd do is we would actually give them away to our listeners. So it's a three-disc three set. I'm giving away the whole set. And um, what we want to do is we want to have you go to iTunes or on our Facebook page. And I want, you, know, you need to leave a rating and a comment because if you leave a rating without the comment, we have no idea who, you, who left a rating. So you have to leave a comment to get your name in. Um, but give us a rating and a comment. And if you go to both, that just doubles your chances of winning because you get entered twice. So you'll get entered Enter for every...
1: twice.
0: That's right, man. You got to get in on this. And so go twice to...
1: the chances to win.
0: Absolutely. And who doesn't like that? And it's I, honestly, the the guy is absolutely a phenomenal talent. Um, I've been listening to his music on the 11-hour the drive from Calgary to Fort St. John today. So it was really good. Uh, so if you want to get in on that, head to iTunes and check us out and leave a, a rating and a comment. And then you can go to Facebook and leave a rating and a comment. And uh, you'll get entered twice or once, depending on what, are, what you want. So, And we are going to be giving that away on the next episode next week, next Tuesday, which is our 50th episode. And we're going to try to make that special in some other way as well that we haven't thought of yet
1: (laughs) (laughs) flying by the seat of our pants as always
0: that's right so i think that's it uh for jason and i have a great next week hopefully spring finds its way to you um go have a great week be a great ancestor and now the jig is up you are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land I don't mean a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses. A fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light. No more living in darkness. Our time now is to be light in the world.